1: When it comes to our confession, what we believe and why, we maintain these truths because there are those out there who would seek to promote the lie or the opposite of these truths. We'll explore that dynamic coming up next. While we promote doctrines of grace and our theology is Christocentric. There are those who would promote doctrines of demons. Welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. Today we turn our attention to chapter 4 and the first 11 verses of 1 Timothy. Doctrines of demons versus the words of the faith. Now This is a two-part mini-series that will take us through the rest of this week. We invite you to join us. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding
2: Grace. Today, we're going to be looking at the doctrines of demons versus the word of the faith. And actually, the subtitle of the sermon could be, I'm afraid of preachers more than Muslims. For you see, Muslims will never destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never. They've been trying to for a thousand years. Oh, they might conquer a country here and there for a while. They might wipe out counterfeit or dead churches. But Muslims will not and cannot destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither can Hindus or Buddhists, or any other religion on the face of this earth. But preachers can. And in this country, you and I should be afraid of false preachers, because there are more than of them than there are of us. Now, who are these false preachers? Well, first of all, we know that many of them are liberals. Those who deny the authority of Scripture, even mock what Scripture teaches. But you know, I'm not as afraid of liberal preachers as I am of evangelical and reformed preachers who refuse to stand on the truth and who compromise and negotiate the truth. In fact, it's interesting, in the past year, I have seen more famous evangelical and reformed preachers cave in to the critical issues of this day and compromise on them than I have ever seen. Men that I'm shocked at who caved in on the subject of homosexual marriages and homosexual ministers who have caved in on cultural Marxism and critical race theory, caved in even on socialism. And these are considered famous preachers. These people will say they're Bible believing Christians and many are going to believe them. And unfortunately, they are influencing people away from the truth. Bear in mind, you can have a preacher that's sound on about everything. He can believe most everything right. He can believe just about everything we believe. And then he starts changing some of his doctrines just slightly. And he starts compromising in little things, which is what we're going to be looking at today. He starts compromising in the little things, but he's able to hold all of it together. He is able to keep the sound doctrine and the false doctrine. He is beginning to believe in a small amount, at bay with each other. But his disciples, they can't do it. And they will be less orthodox than he has been. And they will take his error and false doctrine farther than he took it. And then the next generation will be even farther from the truth. So even more dangerous than liberal preachers who don't believe anything right, really, are those people who would call themselves evangelicals or reformed, who believe most things that are right, but are caving in right and left to the other side. I often criticize some preachers whose blogs I read and I hear on the radio and television. and People get after me for that. They say, Gary, this guy says so many right things. they are they're things that are true. He says so many good things. And I answer, well, I'll just have to agree with Martin Luther who said, No matter how eloquently and strenuously you defend the faith. If you have not defended the points of the doctrine under attack in your lifetime, you have not said a thing. And that's Paul's attitude to Timothy. Now, before we look at our text and see all of this borne out, let me give you a couple of other observations that I have seen from my reading over the past few weeks. First of all, everyone is panicking now because America has become so homosexual and so many are pushing for socialism and other major issues as if this is all the beginning of our decline. Beloved, this started a long time ago, and now we are reaping the results. The first observation is the concern of the average American Christian family is not the battles of the Lord, standing steadfastly for the truth, exposing air and standing against it. The primary concern of the average Christian American family is to be able to enjoy life unmolested, ease and affluence, a comfortable home, nice clothes, heat, food, air conditioning, and a nice car. The primary concern of the average Christian is to be able to enjoy life, and we wonder why we were losing battle after battle. We send soldiers around the world, like to Iraq and Afghanistan, to go to war. Are those soldiers there for a vacation? Are they sitting around and being comfortable? enjoying life no they are fighting and dying for us they are sacrificing for you and i they realize there is a war and they will not lay down their arms until you and i are safe now that's not just the way soldiers are to thank that is the way you and i are to thank as christians If we are going to get anywhere in this battle for our culture, then we must see ourselves as warriors on the battlefield, constantly fighting, constantly standing for the truth, constantly exposing and criticizing air. You ask why? Because we love the truth. And we love Christ. Christ. And we love other Christians, and we don't want to be misled by these things, even the small buddings of them. Because eventually that small bud is going to grow and poison everything in our culture. So ask yourself this question. What is your primary concern as a Christian? Have you ever really thought about that? Is it to have a nice, comfortable life, have a good income, or is all of that secondary to being a pillar of the truth and standing and fighting for the truth, whatever the cost? So these are some of the observations I've made this past week, because basically I've been living in the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy. I want to read a passage before we get to the fourth chapter that I happened on this past week, because it tells you why Paul says what he does to Timothy and tells you why preachers are more dangerous than Muslims. So turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 20. This is Paul addressing the elders of the church. And he says in verse 27 of Acts 20, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard, elders, for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, here is the important phrase. I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves, that is, the elders, the preachers, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That, beloved, is why we should be more afraid of preachers than Muslims. Because they come into the church teaching false doctrines like savage wolves. And they will not spare you. They will not have mercy for you. They will want to convert you to their perspective as well as your children and your grandchildren. And that is why you have to be careful where... You go to church, what preachers you listen to, what books you read, where you allow your children to go to college, what conferences and seminaries you go to and allow your children to go to because the church today is full of savage wolves that would like nothing more than to destroy you and your children. All right, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's follow Paul's train of thought here. Paul is an old apostle, and he's training this young preacher, Timothy, on how to organize a church and be a good pastor. And if you go back to the first chapter of 1 Timothy, you can see one of the first things he emphasizes is, Timothy, as you go out to start this church, understand there will be all kinds of strange doctrines that you will need to deal with. In verse 3, he says, you've got to know what these strange doctrines are. You've got to warn people about them. And then Paul goes on and he says, and you must understand the glorious gospel of our blessed God and preach it in all of its fullness and power and clarity. And that is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom, Paul says, I am foremost of all. In chapter 2, he says, pray for civil officials, especially because in this dangerous world, it is the responsibility of civil officials to defend God's church and God's moral order. And when they refuse to do that, the culture becomes even more dangerous. So make sure the leadership, verse 8, chapter 2, is what God has called it to be. Chapter 3, make sure the elders and deacons are godly men and they know what the truth is. That they're not afraid to stand up in defense of it, whatever it may cost them. And their families must be in order. And in verses 14 and 15, understand what the church is and why I want you to know how to conduct yourself in the church. It is because the church is the house of God, Timothy. It is where God dwells. It is the church of the living God. It is the pillar and the support of the truth. And the reason for its existence is to hold up the truth for all the world to see. And for all the world to believe. And in verse 16, it is to have a common confession of faith. Which, he says, is the mystery of godliness. God who was revealed In the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And that is the first observation. The second observation that I have seen all along is that most Republican presidential administrations of late particularly, you have evangelical preachers that fill the White House And Republican presidents love to have their pictures taken with them. And of course, these preachers scramble to have their pictures taken with the president as if they're going to support them. All of these evangelical pastors have one thing in common. And this is the observation. They are all pietists. And Paul is talking about that here. Do you know what a pietist is? A pietist is someone who believes that the only thing important about the Christian life is the spiritual, the otherworldly part of life, believing in Jesus, praying, going to heaven when you die. But God's law in the Bible has absolutely nothing to do with the government of a country. So think about it. Why wouldn't the president love these people? They, don't, they won't interfere. Or oh, they might make a little noise when it comes to abortion. And maybe a little less noise when it comes to gay marriage. So all, they have, all, all of them have this in common. I could give you a list of names and not one of them believes that God's law is essential to civil government, liberty, and justice for all. Therefore, you're guaranteed they will not interfere much in the governing of a nation because that's really not important at all. But beloved God's law is essential to all areas of life. There is no neutral ground, including the governing of our nation. I actually had a pastor tell me one time that we shouldn't want a Christian America, just a moral America. Well, that's very good Phariseeism. Because the Pharisees in the first century wanted morality without Christ. And when conservatives out there in the political arena say things like that, they are no different than the Pharisees. Because you cannot have morality without Christ. If you leave Christ out of culture, you are going to leave out morality even when you take little steps at the beginning, because eventually you will take those larger steps. Now let's go to chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. We have seen that Paul's train of thought here is to teach Timothy how to watch out for false doctrine and make the church a pillar of truth. And now he says to Timothy, the church is the supporter The pillar of the truth. The church of the living God. The house of God. Here is the common confession of Christ. But don't think. Everything's going to go smoothly. Brethren. Now the kingdom of God. In this world. Is on an upward. Incline. That's what Christianity. Has always taught. Until recently now we're told we're told that we're going to hell in a handbasket but beloved historically and biblically in the old and new testaments we are told that the way of the kingdom of god in this world is upward but it's not in a straight line as the kingdom of god grows in this world there are going to be ups and downs mountains and valleys But the trajectory of its growth is always upward. And there will always be battles we will have to fight and false doctrines that we will have to put down. One of the great emphases of the historic Reformed faith is the victory orientation of the kingdom of God. But, unfortunately, that has caused some people who believe in a victory orientation of the kingdom of God over all of its enemies to draw some wrong implications such as triumphalism and that is the view that the kingdom of God is just going up and up and it will conquer more and more nations until the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea but they don't think there will be any valleys just an easy road to paradise they don't think there will be any casualties or fatalities or, or hard battles for the protection of the righteousness and the truth. And America, of course, can never possibly fall to the ungodly. But then, when hard times do come, they have their faith shaken, such as after the recent elections understand we do believe in christ victorious we believe that the direction of the kingdom of god and the church of god is on earth and we don't believe it is going downhill we believe more and more people are going to be saved until all of the nations of the world worship the triune god with us but there will be hard times God never promised a bed of roses. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. Timothy, don't be a triumphalist. Don't be naive about this. He says the Spirit explicitly tells us that in latter times some will fall from the faith. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So Paul is being very dogmatic in saying this. I know this is for a fact, Timothy. I'm not making any of this up. This is not something I just dreamed up sometime. The Holy Spirit explicitly said this. Now, who was the Holy Spirit talking to here? Well, he's talking to Paul. Do you remember these Holy Spirit-inspired apostles and the truth that they preached to the church? Well, all of that came from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealed to them what was on the very mind of God, which they were to preach to the people. So they preached what the Holy Spirit led them to believe, both in thoughts and words guided by the Holy Spirit himself. So we see an interesting personal testimony of this relationship of Apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Timothy, the Holy Spirit explicitly told me something. Now, if you have anyone who tells you today, if a preacher or someone, anyone else comes up to you and says, the Holy Spirit just told me something, run. Actually, God has told you and I that this book contains everything I need to know to be fully equipped unto every good work. I don't need another voice. From God. So after the 66 books of the Bible were written, says 1 Corinthians chapter 13, after the progress of Revelation was completed with the completion of the Bible, the Holy Spirit has nothing more to say to you and me until the second coming. Everything we need to know about God and about life and the Holy Spirit has been given us in the Bible. Even if the second coming doesn't come for another two million years. And can you imagine? There is no other book like this. So Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy, the Holy Spirit, told me something as a God-appointed apostle. He told me to tell you that in the latter times, that is, sometime after my death, sometime over the ages to come, off and on throughout those ages, some professed Christians who are members of the church of the living God will fall away completely from the faith. Now, please understand, that doesn't mean you can be lost after you've actually been saved. The faith here, as we have already seen in Timothy, means that faith which we profess, that faith which we believe, like the Apostles' Creed and the Westminster Confession of Faith and shorter catechisms. But we can quote those things profess those things, and still go to hell when we die, not having real living faith in Christ. Like Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints.